The Holy Gospel according to Luke, the ninth chapter. Now about eight days after these sayings, Jesus took with him Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. And while he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly they saw two men, Moses and Elijah, talking to him. They appeared in glory and were speaking of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now Peter and his companions were weighed down in sleep, but since they had stayed awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. Just as they were leaving him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it's good for us to be here. Let us make three dwellings, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. While he was saying this, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were terrified as they entered the cloud. Then from the cloud came a voice that said, This is my son, my chosen. Listen to him. When the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone, and they kept silent, and in those days told no one any of the things they had seen. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable unto you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. By way of getting to the mountaintop story which lends its name to this Sunday on the church calendar, the story of the transfiguration of our Lord, which tradition says took place on a Galilean mount called Tabor, Let's go first to the mountaintop story told in our first reading for today, where the mountain's name is Sinai, which Moses had recently ascended for a second time to get a second copy of those two tablets of stone upon which were inscribed the Ten Commandments given to Moses, says the book of Exodus, by God up on that mountaintop. The first copy of those commandments, you may recall, did not survive Moses' anger when, coming down from the mountain, he found that the people, led by his high priest brother Aaron, no less, had decided that Moses must have died up there on the mountain, and therefore this God Moses kept telling them about had apparently lost interest in them, if he even ever existed at all. I mean, it's not like they'd ever seen this God Moses kept saying he was talking to. And so they decided they needed another God, one they could actually see, and so they gave Aaron all of their gold jewelry, and he fashioned for them a golden calf, which... Halfway through the start of worshiping this golden calf, Moses came back from the mountaintop, and when he saw what they were doing, he smashed the tablets of stone right in front of them, symbolic, I imagine, of the smashing of God's commandments they were doing right then and there, given the fact that the first of those commandments was, you shall have no other gods. And here they were, gathered in worship around this self-made thing they were now treating like a god. By the way, you don't see a lot of golden calves around anymore, uh, but there's no shortage whatsoever of self-made thises and thats that people still give their hearts to as though they were gods. I think it is clearly our culture's smashing favorite, sin-wise, 
Although these days you can make the case that bearing false witness is running a strong second. Anyway, after that mess was dealt with, Moses went back to the mountaintop to get a replacement for the tablets he'd broken. And Exodus observes that when Moses was atop the mountain, the people down below could see atop the mountain a fiery brightness with a thick cloud, fire and clouds being, biblically speaking, symbolic of the presence of God. Which takes us to our first reading for today, where Moses comes down to the people again, this time to find them faithfully waiting. But because he's been in the presence of that bright cloud that somehow was the glowing presence of God, Moses' face was glowing too with what was apparently some kind of afterglow of being in the presence of God. And the people found it frightening. So Moses veiled his face when he talked to them, because otherwise they were too creeped out to listen. It's a recurring theme in Scripture. God's glory is so glorious. God's awesomeness is so awesome. God's holiness is so holy, holy, holy that, Lord God Almighty, we can't deal with it. We can't understand that we can't maybe even survive it unless it comes to us veiled. Which is what Christians say is precisely what God in order to be understandable and approachable, did in the form of Jesus, leaving enough of his glow-in-the-dark godness in heaven so as to be able to be veiled in the flesh as one of us here on earth. We actually sing that very theme every single Christmas Eve, do you remember? Veiled in flesh the Godhead see, hail incarnate deity. Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. Veiled in flesh the Godhead see. Which takes us to the mountaintop story that is our gospel reading for today, which takes place, says Luke, eight days after Jesus had for the very first time told his disciples that though indeed he was the Christ, the Messiah that Peter had just got done being the very first one to say he was, he was not the Christ or the Messiah that they'd always thought they wanted, thought they needed, thought that he would be. That being a Christ whose armies he would lead to drive the forces of Rome into the sea. But was rather a Christ, a Messiah, who willingly would suffer and be rejected and be killed, then to be raised again to save sinners, Jew and Roman, from the seas of sin and death. They did not understand him when he said that. Indeed, in both Matthew and Mark, Peter actually pulled him aside and scolded him for saying it. And eight days after that, says Luke, by the way, some think that, that Luke mentions that number because eight days would be a week and then the first day of a new week, thus perhaps foreshadowing here that in this Christ whom they followed, God was doing something new, 
something they would at last understand on the first day of another week, and its empty tomb near a mount called Golgotha, from which Jesus had risen on the eighth day after having entered the city on the Palm Sunday before that. In any event, on this eighth day, Jesus invites his inner circle, Peter, James, and John, to climb to the top of a nearby mountain to join him in prayer when it happened. By the way, Luke is the gospel writer who just clearly and consistently points out that so many of the most profound things that Jesus did and that happened in Jesus' lifetime happened in the context of his prayers. Indeed, in Luke's telling, he died praying. His last, last words being, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. This time we aren't told what specifically was the specific prayer he was praying, although I think there's good reason to believe that he, as a true human, right? <laughs> He's one of us was praying for his own deeper understanding and strength. When it came to being the Christ, the Messiah, who would die the way he would. And as he was praying, it happened. And Peter and James and John, who had actually, says Luke, been getting a little drowsy because Jesus was praying for a long time, were startled into nothing whatsoever like drowsiness as they saw it happen. His face and his clothes, too, started to glow. And then with a start, they saw two other people glowing beside him, Moses and Elijah, who, says Luke, were talking to him about the departure, although it could also be translated the exodus, interesting, that he was about to accomplish in Jerusalem. That's one reason I think he was praying for understanding and strength for the suffering and death with which he would depart. And in that context, I think Moses and Elijah were, among other things, answers to his prayer. Indeed, I can imagine Moses might well literally have discussed with him that just as the children of Israel had been freed from bondage in Egypt by the blood of a Passover lamb, so now he, the Lamb of God, in shedding his blood, would reach to all people with the gift of freedom from bondage to sin and death. And I can even imagine Elijah, who Scripture says did not die, but was rather taken directly to, a, to heaven by a chariot of fire that swung down, sweet chariot, down from heaven to raise him up. Maybe Elijah said then that when Jesus did die, an even greater miracle would occur, that being the power of heaven swinging low to the lowness not just of earth but of the grave and even death, the depths of hell itself to raise him up. Although to be clear, because I think it's completely clear, Moses and Elijah were more, to be sure, than just answers to Jesus' prayer. They were also the two who represented all of Jewish scripture. The Old Testament, which Jews refer to as the Law and the Prophets. 
For Moses was the lawgiver of all lawgivers, and Elijah was the prophet of all prophets, who the prophet Malachi had prophesied would return to earth at the time when God would do the great thing that God would in the end do. And there they were, the law and the prophet, representing in the, everything of Scripture, glowing in the dark with Jesus, although his glow, being something of his divinity unveiled, was not shining on him, but was rather light shining from him. And awakened from sleepiness, Peter said, Lord, it's a good thing we're here. We can build three booths, three shrines, three memorials. One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Luke then comments that Peter, completely clueless about what was going on here, was completely the missing the point and had no idea what he was even saying. Because why? Because the story now goes on to tell us why. When it tells us that then a cloud descended and engulfed the top of the mountain, engulfed them, with Matthew adding the detail that the cloud itself was glowing. Glowing cloud on mountaintop, faces shining in the dark. Ring any bells, first lesson for today, wise? Ladies and gentlemen, God is in the house. And Peter and James and John were terrified. Why? Because remember, unveiled, say the law and the prophets, the holy, holy, holy awesomeness and righteousness of the Lord God Almighty is so holy as to be dangerous to the likes of mere us to get too close to. And then things got, well, both worse and better. When what was already terrifying now became terrifying-er when the bright cloud of the presence of God now spoke. And the voice was the voice of God. And what the voice said was, this is my son. Listen to him. Listen to him. And in those words, we can now understand what Peter had not understood when he wanted to build his three shrines, one for Moses, one for Elijah, one for Jesus. For this is not a gathering of three giants of the faith gathered as equals. This is the two greatest giants of the faith heretofore ever seen on earth gathered round pointing to the unequaled on earth giantness of Jesus. I mean, no disrespect intended for law or prophets. They had their place and they still do, but the voice didn't say, listen to them. It said, listen to him, the fulfiller of the law, the fulfillment of the prophecies, the one who comes not to wake the sleepy with more tablets of stone to show them a better way, but who rather comes suffering, dying, and then stone rolled away, that rising again, we might know not just his promise, but his power to wake even the dead. Which, by the way, lets us see another unveiling 
that is there right there in the story to be seen in the story, that being the unveiling of your future. When dying in Christ, you are then raised up. And as you are, to use Paul's words from 1 Corinthians 15 last week, the perishable body you perished with puts on imperishability. And the mortal body you died with puts on immortality. And the death that is your death that you did die is swallowed up in the victory that is his victory. And your face shines with the glory that is the reflection of his glory and his love for you. So no, 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 no. No, not listen to them. Listen to him. And not three booths, indeed, not even one booth. For this isn't even close to the most glorious moment you will see him glorious with. For listening to him, listen again to what he did say eight days ago. He, soon now, will be dying to love you. And when on that cross he's lifted up to do so, he, in the deepest darkness the world has ever seen, the commingled darkness of sin and death and evil, will draw all people to himself, Jews and Romans, Ukrainians and Russians, saints and sinners, all of whom at last will see, unveiled, the greatest of all truths. Love does win. In the meantime, says Paul in our second reading for today, we, come what may, come what will, come what does, do not lose heart. Rather, having with the eyes of faith seen the unveiling of his glory made perfect in his suffering, we become the unveiling of his grace as it reflects from us into God's suffering world. Amen.